One of them is the Chicago Cubs game. Oh yeah. That never, never, it just never came out. You know. Like nothing good was ever said. Or? Uh, I remember I listened through it, and it's it's a lot of baseball chatter. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love some baseball chatter. Have I seen that kid? Come on, <laughs> good eye, good eye, things like that. Yeah, we um, just did that for an hour. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Dude, I've been, uh, gotta confess this to you guys. I've been reading Narnia. Dude, I just yeah, finished them this here. summer. Yeah, I finished all seven of them. I have three of them if you want them. This is big I, for you, though. This is big for me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. As listeners of the podcast will know. <laughs> uh, no, I I uh, I got a Kindle, so that was a big big thing. So okay. I, I now I buy all my books for class on Kindle, mm-hmm. um, and it's a lot cheaper and it's super easy to read on that thing. And I've just been reading a lot more in general. Like before I go to bed at night, I. I bought, I can't remember what, oh, some, uh, Dr. Levering referred to the Wreck of the Dawn Treader or something like that. The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Yeah. And I asked Scott, like, what is that? And he's like, I got some Narnia books. So I just decided I was going to search Narnia and I got Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe and dug it, dude. That was awesome. Did you? That one was so clearly a Christ oh, yeah. narrative, oh, narrative yeah. that they get I, I was sold on it. So I read The Magician's Nephew okay. next, the first one. And... I bring this up because of the problem of evil you, you mentioned. Um, and I used this in a uh, homily at a wake on Saturday. That, uh, you know, the boy is sent on this uh, mission to go to this Garden of Eden metaphor mm-hmm. on this hill to go get this fruit, which is, you know, going to plant the tree of life in Narnia to keep away the witch. Um, and the witch is in the garden, though. And so when he gets there, he, she's like already eaten the fruit and mm-hmm. she's wicked and bad and everybody knows it, but she knows his weakness, which is that he has a sick mom and she's dying. And he, his one like preoccupation is to get the fruit of youth to bring back to her so that, um, so he has the temptation to steal the fruit from Narnia, go back to his world and give it to his mom. And it seemed to me like my reading of it was he realizes that like, even though her reasoning is, is tempting to believe like, yeah, you could do this and this could work and you're doing something good for your mom. Uh, he sees that she's selfish and doesn't love him because she says, just leave behind your friends and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, a good, good person wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. But he knows that Aslan loves him. And the reason is because before he left, he was telling Aslan about his mom and crying. He was embarrassed to even bring it up to this huge lion who had just like sung everything into being. He was the <laughs> baddest lion on earth. <laughs> and he looks up and the lion has his hand on his shoulder and is crying too. And I had to believe, like, he, I don't think Lewis p- puts it in the story, but that image stuck with him, you know, of the lion crying. And that's what looking at the cross, like all, for a person of faith that sees Christ, and it's not just a statue on a 
piece of wood, mm-hmm. uh, sees the, the, like, the suffering, sorrowful Christ as, you know, that he looks on his creation corrupted by sin and death and all this evil, not indifferently, uh, but with profound pathos, like that this really hurts him and he's, you know, doing something about it, you know, to, to set it right. Um, but if you don't see that, the problem of evil is impossible. It's totally impossible. And I think of just got out of the chapel was talking about St. Bakita, who uh, she has one of the stained glass windows down in the chapel. But St. Bakita, she was uh, born in Sudan, sold around as a slave, just mm-hmm. got beat crazy bad. Uh, scars all over her body, like hundreds and hundreds of tattooed scars. Not ink, but knives like dug into her. Just brutal, sick, disgusting. And she got sold into Italy where she became a sister and was known as the Black Mother. So, like, she's, you know, this African lady living in Italy. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that Benedict talks about, I think it was in Space Salve, which is Mm -hmm. uh, the encyclical that he wrote, which included um, uh, St. Bakita. She says that, or Benedict says that, um, she came to discover a master. So all of her, all of her life, the people who were in charge of her were like, they were her masters. They owned her. Um, and so she, she came to discover as being a daughter of Christ, a, a daughter of the father, that she finally had a master who came down and was scourged just like, just huh. like she was. Yeah. And so this isn't a master who's ruling over her, but a master who's next to her getting beat just like, just like she did. And uh, just reading that line, I mean, that's exactly it. He's not a master who rules over us. Like if you look at Islam, Mm -hmm. the Muslims believe that he is a a reigning God, a God of fury, a God of of wrath, not a God of mercy, not a God of love. Mm -hmm. And that's what, without Christ, you can't have it. You can't, suffering makes no sense, man. But when you have your Lord, the guy who created you, next to you getting beat, um, or even before you getting beat, taking your suffering before you've even received it, uh, that seems to be the answer of, of pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. Is there's a personal God, not an abstract goodness, you know, like Father Miguel mm-hmm. talks about, but a personal God who came down and had spikes rammed through his arms. Um, I, it seems to me without the crucifixion, without the death and resurrection, suffering would be the unanswerable question. Yeah, absolutely. And then you have escapism, which the Buddhists believe. Well, it's the opposite of what we say. In terms of desire, <clears throat> because for Buddhist, it's like, well, to escape all of the evil and suffering of the world, you just have to stop wanting anything. Mm-hmm. Um, stop wanting things to be different. Just become ind- indifferent. You know, it's a little bit like Stoicism, like Epictetus would say. Just act as if, like, convince yourself that your wife is the same as like a a flower pot, and just as if a flower pot broke, and you couldn't build it again. Like, it wouldn't make you sad, just like the same way your wife dying wouldn't make you sad. You know, just stop caring. But, uh, and I'm sure I'm not doing Buddhism justice there, that's more Stoicism, but in Christianity, it's like, no, desire more than you think you want. Yeah. You know, you have to grow in you the desire that's already there, that God has planted in you, to want more than what is just in front of you. You know. Well, that's C.S. Lewis as well. Like, I don't know what book it is, but he talks. He talks about how we're like little children, and God desires to give us a vacation at the sea, 
but we're so preoccupied with the mud puddles that we're playing in that yeah. we won't look up. Right. And uh, yeah, absolutely. It's the the Buddhist mindset to the Christian mindset on desire is literally the exact opposite. Yeah. Want bigger because you were made for bigger. Dogs go to heaven. Goats go to hell. So I think the Buddhist saints would be very different than Catholic saints. Right. Um, you know, and it's, it's interesting, too, because, you know, like people, I was just listening to Catholic stuff, you should know, which, which is back on the air. Okay. Um, and Father John Neppel was talking about, like, in the mountain culture, like snowboarders and stuff, there's big, like, hey, man, I respect that you want to live for the, the life after death, but I want to live for today, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, tell that to Mother Teresa or St. Francis of Assisi that they're living for life after death and not living for today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know? Because ultimately the snowboarder is living for tomorrow or the next powder dump or, you know? Like, what living for this world really does is, like, you're always looking for a future better than the your past. Yeah. But in Christianity you say this moment, this now, is... The eternal now that God is pouring grace into me to be no matter if I'm like cleaning a latrine or like having a spiritual ecstasy vision uh, of Jesus himself like that this is where God wants me and yeah. um, I think with that it's just such an important point though to realize more and more that like we can't manufacture that mm-hmm. like we can't just will an encounter with Christ yeah. and it's it's such a hard thing because I know I constantly want to, you know, or like more encounters. and um, But when you let yourself be loved, like that is when that encounter comes. And what you were saying about St. Fakita and even like back to your Aslan point of like the lion crying with this kid is what ultimately drew him back. One of my favorite um, stories from my time with Focus, one of the priests out in Nebraska told it in a homily. He was talking to a Protestant minister on campus at Nebraska, and they were talking, and I think this might have been early on in his priesthood, so John Paul II was still alive, and he had just had a World Youth Day, but it must have been when John Paul II was getting fairly sick, and the Protestant guy was, sounded like a good man, and, and just honestly perplexed, and it was asking Father, he was like, how in the world does this 80-year-old, like, sickly man who can't hardly talk anymore, who dresses up, you know, in weird robes, how does he get millions of kids to come and just be with him at this World Youth Day? And, you know, he said, you know, you watch it, and it's like, it's the most alive he's ever seen a group of people on TV. And uh, I thought this priest's response was just spot on. And he said, he just shrugged, and he was like, because they know that he loves them. Mm -hmm. And it was just a simple just as simple as that. Like they know without a doubt that John Paul II loves them like a father. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the key to, um, to all of it. And so it is cool. Like, like you were saying earlier too, as Christians, not even as priests, but just as Christians, like we just get to love people and let God do with it what he will. I mean, that's a privilege in itself, but it's also, a pretty cool life just to be like well all we got to do is love people and yeah i'll take care of the 
the rest of it. Sometimes it leaves a little bit to be desired in terms of end results at the end of the day. That's it's, true. It's not like you're you're done making a house or fitting a pipe or something. Yeah. Like you can look at all the work you've done, but yeah, very true. It is more meaningful, especially being like millennial, um, you know, Americans. Mm-hmm. Instant Just gratification. Most, yeah, most pragmatic minded people ever. Mm-hmm. Why are you not? Loving Jesus right now. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. uh, like you said, it's not something that you can manufacture. Mm-hmm. It just is. Once you come to that realization of, it's not something that, I can't escape this. Mm-hmm. God's love is upon me. Mm-hmm. I exist. Ergo, God's love is upon me. Yeah. And uh, Well, also, like what I've kind of come to, and this has taken me years, is to, is to um, see in some ways like the balance between or, or the inclusion of both the fact that there are as many ways to God as there are human beings. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't change the fact that Jesus Christ is the one way, one truth, and one life. Mm-hmm. You know, that um, that everybody is going to come to God in their own way, mm-hmm. on their own path. Um, but that doesn't mean that, like, just anything goes, that anything will make you happy or it has to be Christ in some way. So I'm convicted to spread the news, to, to uh, challenge people when necessary, to comfort them when that is necessary. Um, and, you know, but to always bring Christ to them, but always in a way that's uh, reverential to whatever is already happening. Like, I don't think that I can fit them into my own way yeah. of how I came to faith or how yeah. I came to happiness. Yeah. But you still get to use your own gifts and your own, Absolutely. you know, loves to. But either, on either side of that, I yeah. think you go way wrong. Like, yeah. I've discovered the right way, and I just need to force everyone to do exactly what I did, mm-hmm. and that will make them happy. And if everybody just did that, then the world would be fine, and everyone would be a Republican, or everyone would be a Democrat, <laughs> depending on your, your you know, oh, your vision of the utopia. <laughs> but that just doesn't work. Like, that, it's never worked. Right. But neither has it worked to just say, like, well, everybody's just fine. Like, I, I've got my own thing. They've got their thing. Like, that person over there is depressed, but that's maybe that's what they're into, you know? <laughs> maybe they're into being totally sad. Yeah. yeah. They probably like it. Probably and, like it. and that's why I think Catholicism is so sweet because it doesn't... Everyone wants to make God smaller than he is. Everyone wants to make Christ less than he is. Yeah. And Catholicism, it allows for the openness of... Each unique, infinitely, uh, you know, infinitely individual human being to get to Christ however they want, who's also an, you know, an infinite being um, who is the creator of all things. So we have an infinite uh, you know, person qualities inside of us, mm-hmm. being creatures of God, um, man with an immortal soul. So you can't squeeze these things into this. You know, this t- tiny little box. Yeah, infinity is like the biggest number. It's way bigger. And then you times that by two because right. there's two infinite qualities there. Mm-hmm. Forget about it, dude. Dude, two And that's, that's why Catholicism does so well in the both and category. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah, you can have your way. That worked for you. Um, and there's all these other ways. It's yeah. more like a both and, and, and per person in, right. in, the, in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, have you guys ever seen the movie uh, Bad Nets Feast? I've never seen it, but I've heard it summarized many times. Okay, gotcha. I watched it over the weekend. Do you know the premise nope. of it? 
So it's not in English. I don't know what language it's in, obviously, but very quick. It has, um, it's in this community somewhere in, in Europe, and it's like a small, rural, very poor. And there's this Puritan pastor there, and he has two daughters that choose to, like, forgo the world. And they're both very beautiful. They both, one has, like, a, an army officer courting her, and the other has, like, a famous singer courting her. And they give it all up in order to just, like, stay there, share the gospel with this very small group of people, like, in their dad's honor. And Anyway, so then the, the movie, like, progresses to where um, they eventually have a cook. That's Babette. And so she all she does is just um, they make, for, like, 11 years or 17 years or something, she makes bread ale soup because that's all they have, and it's just, like, this disgusting mush. And so she wins the lottery in France, and she's able to go, her, um, she had been, like, she had to leave France because of the war, and her husband and her son had been killed, and so she was able to go back to France then after she won this money, but instead, she doesn't tell the, the two sisters that she's living with this, but she decides to, um, cook this huge elaborate meal for the community there, it's like 12 people, and, uh, Long story short, like, as this, this meal transpires, she spends all the money she won on the lottery for it, and it turns out that she was the best chef in Paris in her day. And it, like, just this meal evangelizes this group of people. Like, there's no other way to say it, how the movie portrays it, and just, like, draws the good out in them just by the goodness of this meal. So it's funny, because you have these Puritans, but it's a very Catholic movie. Right, right. You know? But at the end, the general... There's this big-time general that comes as well, and he was the the young officer at the beginning of the movie that was in love with one of the daughters, uh-huh. and she turns him down, and so his he comes to this dinner, and now they're really old, and he's very, he's very like bitter about just his whole life. Like he after she turned him down, he said, "Well, I'm just going to focus on my career and like um, and just do that and and win great victories and etc." And he did, he did all of that. And he's just totally empty on the inside. And uh, so this meal, he like he realizes, he gives the toast at the end. And he says that, he, he takes like the, this is where mercy and justice have embraced. And the line is translated in subtitles, but the line was like, God, what we accept is given to us. And what we, we reject is granted. And we realize that through it all, it's only grace. So it's like, such a solid Catholic movie. But it's really cool, just like what we were talking about. Like, here's this lady, this character, who just evangelizes, like, through a meal, and you can see the change in the people. And just that point that, like, through all of that, like, the the, the both and, the both and, the both and, like, ultimately, it's just God's grace. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball.